we don't need to define you know <laughs> these things uh, we can't probably uh, really but we can know them nonetheless Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mind Matters. Harrison Cayley here with Adam Daniels and Luke Koch. Say hi, everybody. Hello. Hello. Oh, as usual, we've got a little bit of a delay with our international connection, but that's okay. Today, we are going to talk about a bunch of stuff. Luke recently has a couple articles on his Substack. Inspired by the recent question of questions that um, people are having a lot of trouble answering, maybe for good, maybe for bad reasons. What is a woman? Um, there was that documentary by was it Matt Walsh. Yeah. What is a woman that came out recently? I didn't see it. Um, did you guys actually watch the documentary? Luke, did you? Yeah. Yeah, we watched it um, and it's, it's really great and... Uh, quite terrifying <laughs> i've just seen some clips from it but um i think was it, it was it inspired by the um the quote from the supreme the, the supreme court justice like hearings and the the one uh what was her name jackson katanji jackson or something and she was at one of the, you know one of the republican one of the republicans asked her if she could provide a definition for what a woman what, what a woman is and she said you know no i'm not a biologist um was that the inspiration for it? Do you know? Um, I think uh, it's, I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I, my sense is that it was the other way around. So that basically Matt Walsh, I mean, I'm not sure if he was the first, but he certainly kind of brought this discussion <laughs> or this question into the public discussion and then it kind of took off. So I might as well be the other way around. Okay. Yeah. So it could have been one of those things like, like groomers, like, okay, groomer that, uh, was kind of a social media thing that then, you know, then politicians, you know, pick up on because it's part of the, part of the vernacular now. Um, but what about, uh, your piece? Cause you took a, like not having seen Matt Walsh's documentary, I don't know if he comes, you know, if the intention of his documentary is to come to a conclusion to actually be able to define a woman or just, you know, give a, a basic definition, but you kind of take a, but I think is probably a um, a unique perspective, and refuse to provide a definition. Is that correct? What's your What was your reasoning behind that? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's Why can't you define what a woman is, Luke? <laughs> yeah, so Do you not know? I mean, we've all heard of these <laughs> oh, no. these mythical creatures before. You know, I, we we suspect that they exist. Um, you know, as some of our YouTube commenters have pointed yeah, out, but, uh, you know, we we seem to lack a lack of diverse um, range of voices. Um, well, it's actually because we've never actually met a woman before. Um, we're totally in the dark about uh, <laughs> about these sorts of things. So, so yeah. What, what what can you conclude, Luke? Never having you know been graced by the presence of one of these creatures. Yeah. So um, I conclude that you know try to define it, and you you'll fail. <laughs> um, or maybe that's just us uh, nerds. I don't know. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the, the thing is about the documentary, I mean, I, I really found it very, very interesting. So it's, I don't have any beef whatsoever with, with it. And basically what, uh, what Matt Walsh did was, um, he used that question as a sort of 
trolling device, right? And also to highlight some of the absurdities of um, of the gender ideology. So it's it's kind of like a, a very, I think, a very interesting move on on his part. I mean, it, it just works. And uh, but the documentary actually, I mean, is more about this whole gender ideology. You know what's what's going on with all the you know trans stuff and how they transition kids and that sort of thing so the question is more like the the entry point you know kind of like the rhetorical device to to get the you know the discussion going and um and to kind of play with you know with some of these contradictions uh, so it, he it's clearly like a bit tongue in cheek uh, so to say and so i don't have any uh, trouble with that at all but you know the the thing is that i found interesting and maybe you've seen um seen a clip uh, of that um he went like to <laughs> it's kind of brilliant move he went to africa to one of those you know like tri tribes that are still there that you know they it's not that they are isolated from anything uh, from everything but they kind of live the traditional tribesman life i forgot now which country it was in africa and uh, so like hardcore traditional tribe basically you do still the, the, do it the old ways and he asked them, you know, about this question as well. And uh, and it was kind of funny because they were like, they don't, didn't even understand, you know, what, what trans is and, and even what like a homosexual is, you know, like, just like what? Uh, they had no idea. And so it was kind of interesting because, you know, they uh, obviously like the, the lefts, uh, lefties or the, the, let's say like the, the gender ideologues, they they are also very pro diversity and uh, anti colonialism and things like that. So and here's a tribe that is that has not been colonized and <laughs> and they are like the complete opposite of what you know of their ideology. So that was kind of cool. Uh, but anyway, what struck me as interesting when he asked them the question, you know, what is a woman? They were like really dumbstruck. You know, they they looked at each other. It was it's like what, what 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 does this guy mean you know and then they were discussing you know the both the man and the women in the tribe were kind of like discussing and they came up like with oh yeah i guess uh reproductive organs must be it right um and you know then some other guy said uh, I, I don't know like something you know about biology or whatever but they they were clearly like you know, didn't really know what to say, you know, and we're like just looking, uh, searching for, for, for something. Um, and Jordan Peterson was interviewed as well in the documentary and, and he didn't give a straight answer either. Right. And, um, and he said, uh, uh, yeah, if you wrote, if you read my article, you, you know, that, um, he said, uh, why don't you marry one and find out? <laughs> so I, that's, uh, I found it kind of smart as well. And, uh, and then, I mean, I don't, want to spoil the movie but there's just no, nothing really to spoil but you know the the punchline at the end is like uh, um Matt Walsh uh, asks his wife you know what is a woman and she says you know it, it was obviously like pre you know pre-arranged uh, but uh, she said well it's uh, an adult female you know and boom you know and then the, the question was finally settled <laughs> so uh, in the in the movie in the dramatic g of the of the movie right and and it just struck me as very interesting that you know um uh i, I don't know like what what's oh let's let's put it that way right in a sane world 
you know, nobody would ever even ask that question, right? It would be just a complete absurdity. You would just wouldn't do it. I mean, you could uh, maybe talk about, you know, what is what is a typical like woman like or should be like or like what is femaleness and maleness, but n nobody would ever ask, you know, how do you define a woman, you know, in that kind of sense? Uh, it's it's just an odd question, you know. We we all know what a woman is, but even though we might not be able to to define it, and I think. Um, Part of the 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 issue here is just that these gender ideologues, you know, they kind of have forced us to to you know come up with a straightforward like scientific definition, you know, just in in self defense basically, <laughs> and uh, and to you know say something like adult female, but nobody ever talks about adult females, you know, except like a biologist and uh, even. Um, he w w would probably not talk like that about humans, right? It's just a word that that nobody uses, and um, and it struck me, you know, when after, even after I, I wrote that article and I thought a bit more about it, and um, I think that uh, what, yeah, what, what happened is that um, that we are forced to to use words that that just don't make any sense in in real life, right? I mean, just the word sex. Uh, in the sense of um, defining or like in the, the male-female distinction that it, it is something, you know, that is on government forms, right? Or, or used to be before they came up with the word gender, you know, that's all other kind of forms. But uh, um, and it's something that the biologists, you know, might talk about in a scientific article, you know, like something like that. But uh, it's not something that we use because it doesn't make any sense because we we know what a what a man what a woman is and uh it and even you know when we when we want to know if a cat is is a is a male or a female we we don't ask what's its gender or what's its, its sex right so we just ask oh is that a he or a she you know something like that or um or if there's any ambiguity uh with uh you know whether someone is a man or a woman it would which rarely happens but it, it can happen right um, so we also don't don't say something. Oh, I was mistaken about about his sex, you know, or his gender. We just say something like, "Oh, oh my God, I thought it's a woman." Ha ha. <laughs> so you know, so it's it's um, it struck me just that um, there there is something with language and with words that that have a very deep, rich meaning, especially words that we use every day, right? That are just uh, part of, of, of the course of life, um, like man and woman, boy and girl, things like that. Uh, we just, there's a deep, very deep intuition about these things. And there's a whole world of experience, you know, that, that we all share and that is uh, totally obvious. And, uh, and there's all kinds of connection and things that um, in, in these words and, and, if we try to, you know, like put them in a box and then give them a definition, like uh, adult female, you know, or like has a this and that chromosomes, or um, I don't know, like has a, a reproductive organ, you know, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. kind of like doesn't doesn't really make sense and doesn't re even capture like what this is all yeah. about. You know? Yeah, so maybe I stop there. But uh, these were some of the thoughts that you know went went on in my mind. That, it reminds me um, of something that 
first of all that I read in in the matter with things with Ian McGilchrist by by Ian McGilchrist, and then I was just listening to the interview that Jordan Peterson just put out with with McGilchrist, and they, he talks about this this idea the, about language, and so in the book. McGilchrist is talking about, uh, I can't remember the exact example he gave, but he was just, he was talking about language in general and it's, it's inability to capture, um, reality. I think it was a quote from another author where he was describing how, um, you know, no matter what, no matter, well, I'll just make up an example. It's similar, you know, so you could say, oh, he went over and turned the light on. And so then in your mind, you can picture that happening, but the, the phrase itself, it's very definite, you know, he, this person went and he did something. But between the the words and the actual action, there's an infinite amount of data, of information, and like uh, of of color and 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 difference that can't be captured in that in that language. So you can't imagine you can't get across precisely with language the exact path that all that it every part of his body took to move towards the light you can't picture exactly what the the switch or the or the um or whatever the you know the implement is for turning on the light you can't picture it its color its shape there's and as as much as you try to do that so you could write an entire book about this one action and still it would not capture the the action itself in all of its detail the only thing that can do that is experience so you can actually watch him doing it and you can see everything about it that cannot cannot possibly be captured in language L- language is this is an extreme like shorthand to get across just the the very basic you know gestalt or whatever the like the whole but it can't capture all the details and it can't even capture the you know you'll have to create a hole in your mind based on the language you'll have to extrapolate based on the language that's being used but you can't capture the actual experience the only way to capture the actual experience is to experience it and and so it's kind of like the it's kind of like a um like a borges story um where with like the the map and the territory so there's this this um this Eastern emperor that hires, you know, these map makers to make a totally accurate representation of his kingdom. And so they make a small one. He's like, no, it's, it's lacking too much detail. And they end up creating a map that is an exact represent, an exact replica of his kingdom. So he creates a double of the kingdom. The only way to create the accurate map was to actually duplicate the kingdom with everything in it. So life size and essentially just create a new kingdom. That's the only way to get a completely accurate map. And so in the interview, um, Jordan Peterson's talking about attention and he's talking about how he, during the interview, he's looking at a black box that he has on his desk. And when you, when you just say black box, you get this, it's almost like a, a pixel of information, black box, there it is. But when you direct your attention to it and, and look at it in more detail, then you begin to see that it's much more than a black box. You know, there are shades of color, depending on how the light is hitting it. You know, there's the function it serves. There's, there's all kinds of detail that isn't captured in just calling it a black box. You get a pretty good idea that it's a black box just from that description, but there's more to it. So there's a similar thing with, um, with like a woman. So you could take, you could go the biological route and, and, and come up with a definition. So like the ones you, you mentioned, like when you, when you really search for one, like, you know what it, you know what it means. Um, but when you search for a definition, you might say, okay, well, like the, like the tribesmen, oh, well, it has to do with, uh, you know, genitals with, with reproductive organs. But then if, uh, you know, if you have a, a person who's been in an accident or for some reason or another has lost their entire, you know, um, like genital region, 
does a woman who lacks now her uterus and her vagina and everything down there, does she cease to be a woman? You know, does a man who has lost his testes and his penis cease to become a man? Like if you're, if they're walking down the street, you'll still be, you'll still say, oh, he or she, or that's a man or that's a woman. So there's that gray case. And then you can go the, the super biological route where you go, you know, subcellular and say, oh, well, it has to do with the, the chromosomes. So a woman is, you know, XX chromosome, right? Yeah. And, uh, or a man is XY. But then if, if you def define it like that, that definition itself is completely meaningless because what does it actually mean? It doesn't capture anything about you know, just, just knowing what these chromosomes are, well, what does that imply? It's, it's a complete abstraction from reality. XX chromosome. Well, that, if you, if you tell that to anyone who doesn't, you know, who doesn't know biology, it's completely meaningless. It doesn't capture anything about what a woman actually is, how she is experienced, how she is, how she experiences. It may be a feature that is, um, you know, necessary on some physical, you know, biological level, but it's not a definition. It doesn't, uh, you can't, you can't look at that definition and then come to conclusions about what a woman must be like in actual real life when you're interacting with one, uh, when you find one in the wild, um, which I, you know, I've, I have yet to do as mentioned, you know, I'm still waiting to, to meet one of these, one of these <laughs> strange creatures, strange creatures. Um, but just by itself, XX doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't, and so um, when you wrote your your article, um, the the first one on this subject, Luke, I, I commented that right as right as I read that piece that you'd written, I just read, um, you know, a chapter in Hervé Cleckley's book Caricature of Love, which we talked about with uh, with Josh Slocum. I don't actually, I don't have the, um, I don't have it noted where the the quote was, but uh, you know, readers can find it on the on the Substack. But essentially, Cleckley saying. You know, it's kind of a dumb question because if you ask any six-year-old, they'll they'll be able to tell you what you know. They'll be able to point out a woman, you know, from a hundred yards away. And what else do you need? Like that's that's pretty much that's pretty much all you need. And to to reduce, um, to try to come up to a to a definition to like to 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 reduce a man or a woman to that definition, it doesn't it won't capture what it's actually like to you know to be. A man or a woman or to perceive and interact with one. Um, the definition will just be some kind of shorthand that will always have um, like uh, limitations, limitations, cases where it doesn't apply. Like I mentioned, like, uh, you know, like, like a woman who has lost her reproductive organs or a man. And um, so there will always be these, these gray areas, but when it comes down to it, it's actually very simple. And no one, un unless they have probably some kind of brain damage that, you know, is messing with their, um, their perception and their, you know, their ability to, to, to link up the past experience with, with present experiences, then it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's like Cleckley said, you can tell from in like 99.9% .9 of cases from a hundred yards away. And then you'll get those, those other cases where it's like, oh, Oh, I was, you know, I guess we were wrong about that. You know, that turns out that man wasn't a man or that woman wasn't a woman. And in that case, okay, well, you know, but still you've come, you've, after going through the, the rough, um, um, the kind of intuitive, the intuitive take on it, that's accurate in the vast majority of cases, you get that tiny percentage of cases where it's not accurate. And, but then you still come to a conclusion. Okay. Oh, well, that's really a man. And that's a, that's one of those anomalous cases where, you know, you're, you're, it's like a, um, 
like, uh, what are they called? Um, those, oh, I'm having a blank. Those visual... Like optical illusion? Yeah, an optical illusion. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a genital illusion. <laughs> um, where, you know, where, okay, oh, it turns out my perception was wrong in that case. But, you know, you can still kind of, you, you figure it out after the fact. And then then you kind of update your files and say, okay, well, th this, so here's the whole range of, of man experiences and the whole range of woman experiences. And there's some that are really close or that overlap in, in certain ways. And, uh, and I think it's, it's that, it's, it's those anomalous, um, experiences that the, the gender ideologues then use to create their entire, um, you know, their entire schema, their entire philosophy and, and, and science of, of, of gender when, but the, so, so they take that, that, that tiny minority, that tiny percentage of anomalous cases and then ascribe it to the, to the entirety and say, oh, therefore you're wrong about everything because there's, you know, that tiny, because there are those, you know, cases that you come across maybe once every year or two where you're not quite sure. Therefore you can't be sure about anyone. And therefore the definitions are meaningless. And therefore you have no idea what a man or a woman is. And so we're going to have to tell you what the new rules are. But then at the same time, too, it's like the only reason that those like questionable situations arise is more of like an exploitation of the limitations of like the language itself and not really so much a um, like a problem of of being able to observe the reality in front of you. Like, because like, what do you mean? Because, uh, you know, if you go to. Well, uh, uh, yeah, as an it. example, there's. Okay. Um, there's an, an individual who will come to the place that I work who uh, has very manly features, you know, very pronounced Adam's apple, very strong jaw, man hands. Um, however, they also have, you know, breasts, long hair, walk around in like uh, a nice dress. And so, you know, if you saw them from far away, like the obvious image that they're projecting is that of a woman but when you get closer you're like okay this person seems to be like not someone who was born as a woman but tried to change who they were um but that's not so in their, really in their natural state they would in her natural his or her natural state you know with without any uh social constructionism you'd be able to tell yeah. But then, but it's because of, yeah. you know, the, the, the choices and the, the actions that they've made in their life. And then the, the ability arises. to manipulate those choices or the definitions of those choices because of the exploitability, exploitability of the language, that's where it really gets into the tricky weeds. Okay. But well, but aren't there yeah. also cases, or one sec, Luke, aren't there also cases of someone who, who doesn't, who hasn't made any of those conscious choices, but that, you know, just you know, through, through the, through their very biology, just, you know, is very, uh, ambiguous what they present as. Cause I mean, it's very obvious in kids, right? Cause sometimes you'll, 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 you know, you, you see a two-year-old or a three-year-old and it looks like a girl mm -hmm. and it turns out it's a boy or vice versa. And you go, Oh, you know, sorry, parents. I, I, you know, I, I thought, I thought your son was a, was a, a was a boy or was a girl. Or vice versa, or whatever. You know, so, what, what do you think, Luke? Yeah, but but you know, I I think in in real life, you know, the, the, this this 
um, if 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 it weren't for this crazy making by the gender ideologues, right? I mean, I think all of that just wouldn't be a problem. So, I mean, even if if there's a, like a very masculine woman, you know, that you might say it, it's kind of ambiguous in in that regard, um, that's not a problem. You would just say, yeah, um, she she j just l doesn't look very much like a woman, you know, but you still have this yardstick in mind, you know, you know what a woman is and you just say, oh, it's, it's maybe a bit, f it's not as close to, you know, a woman than another woman maybe, but it's still a woman, you know, but so it's like, this is, it's really no problem, right? Or, or with the kids, mm -hmm. you know, that obviously you can sometimes not really know <laughs> what they are. Um, but I think the, the real danger, um, Adam, as you as you uh, hinted at, is is these whole language games that the ideologues are are playing, and I think it's it's even worse than than that. Um, that it's they don't just take ambiguous cases, right? That always exist somehow, and uh, and blow them up. I mean, they they also do that, of course, but um, the thing is, they they operate in this abstract language verbal space, right? I mean, it's no wonder that they are also proficient at producing like verbal diarrhea in <laughs> in their theories and papers you know like very complicated sentences and and all kinds of you know weird um special words and and whatever i mean they they live in that world of of pure definitions and uh, and and they want to suck us into this world right and once they have us in that world um and that was also part of the point i was trying to make with that article right if we discuss as you said, Harrison, if we if we go on about chromosomes and penises and whatever, you know, it's like um, they're just you know it, it won't go anywhere. You know, um, it's it's just not not really like the thing to do here. And once we enter the this enter the space of definition games, um, then we kind of lose touch with you know our our deep intuition about these things and this provides an entry point you know for redefinition and we're then so confused and we have lost so touch um that you know we can be convinced that anything goes or like you know whatever you make up is reality and and however you define it uh this is you know the thing and uh and i think that's an important point this this kind of detachment from from the depth of our experience and um and you, I would even make the case, right, that, I mean, we know what the woman is or what the man is, not because we learned it from the dictionary, right? I mean, I, I just think in general, language doesn't work that way, really. I mean, dictionaries are kind of useless. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's except for like very specific terms that are not used like in, in life, you know, very much that you kind of need to look up and that are very precise and you need to use sometimes, you know, and for spe specific purposes. But other than that, I don't think it's really uh, like language as language l works. And uh, um, the thing is, um, uh, behind a word like woman, you know, that I, I, my sense is that there is like a whole universe of of meaning. I mean, it's it's kind of obvious, right? I mean, it's a, it's an experience that every human being shares. You know, the the experience of recognizing and you know uh f feeling what a woman is you know or what a man is or whatever you know so these are, things are so incredibly deep and obviously they go back you know i mean they've always been there so they're they're in a sense they're in our biology they're in our experience they're probably like um 
I mean, it, it, it doesn't go any deeper, right? I mean, it's like just uh, this super rich meaning with a uh, million years old history that we kind of are connected to. Um, so um, it, yeah. So so that's why I think it's dangerous to um, play these definition games because that's how they succeeded, you know, to to convince us of some weird stuff in the first place, right? By uh when when john money and and these guys came up with the word gender you know that uh, then they redefined it and they confused us you know then people used sex and gender um as a synonym basically because they didn't want to talk about sex you know I, I, that's my theory anyway right so that uh, it's it just became a, a, a synonymous the, the words gender and sex but the gender ideologues always then uh, always had redefined the word gender as meaning something socially constructed, you know, but the rest of us just use them as a synonym. And it's this state of confusion uh, where they can sneak in like redefinitions and disconnect us from, from our intuition. So I, I think that's, that's really an important point. I mean, we, we don't need to define, you know, <laughs> these things. Uh, we can't probably uh, really but we can know them nonetheless. I think that's a point that McGilchrist also tries to hammer, hammer home. <laughs> the, that kind of touches a bit, at least, you know, part of what you were saying touches on um, like, like, and like what you were saying before Harrison, where language itself is, um, is always going to fall short of, of conveying the richness of actual experience. Um, and and then we can latch on to that idea and then maybe take it a step further to say that the people who then uh, have very shallow views of language or very shallow understandings of language or use it in ways which are shallow and perhaps manipulative, maybe we can then go so far as to say that they themselves have a, a lack of depth uh, to their experience, which is why they seem okay with being able to just throw all these definitions of things around and, and jumble them in every which way, which to normal people doesn't make sense and doesn't work because they just don't have that richness of the experience to give them that, mm, that information upon which to draw. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want to agree with that quickly. Um, I think that's a, a very good point because we always assume that people are all the same, right? And that everybody is on the same page. But um, in order to connect, I think language works by basically connecting experience, right? So uh, as you said, Harrison, it's kind of like an extrapolation perhaps, or maybe it's some even deeper than that. Um, I don't know, but it, that seems how, you know, we, we kind of like connect via shared experience, via language sort of thing. But if experiences are different for different people, if some people just cannot uh, or maybe have lost touch so much um, with their intuition, if they ever had it, uh, that they just cannot um, sense these, these you know, connections, um, then you think you're talking about the same thing, but... Uh, you you cannot really understand mm -hmm. each other, yeah. So so I think mm -hmm. that you're right. You're onto something there. 
Yeah, it's a per- it might come down to an actual perceptual issue. That reminded me of something else that uh, Miguel Kristen Peterson were talking about. Um, Peterson was talking about his clinical experience of an- with with anorexics, and um, because something Miguel Christ had said or written kind of you know triggered his memory about this that he'd through his work with them he he you know came to the conclusion that there was a very deep perceptual issue going on that like um it was them and ocd yeah because with uh with the anorexic he said that they they're basically engaged in this left brain perception that focuses that that uh deconstructs the body and focuses on parts so even though objectively as a whole anyone can see that the anorexic is like is grossly and unhealthily thin that they they cannot see their whole body they will focus in on a part so maybe like their ankle and by just by giving exclusive focus to the ankle they're they're looking for the fat on their ankle and by by um by isolating that body part from the whole rest of the body they can see it as you know too fat maybe oh well there's that that little that little bump there or that or it just looks big but there's nothing to compare it to they can't see it in relation to the whole so the the conclusion then is by looking at all of these parts and concluding without being able to compare with other body parts by concluding that each one is fat they then construct this um or come to this conclusion that their their entire body is is still overweight and fat and, and that they they have to lose even more weight but they're not actually seeing their entire body if they could they'd be able to see that objectively they're, they're complete they're way off base that they're actually too thin and um so there seems to be something that's that's an extreme case where um there's there might be something analogous going on with with this whole gender thing where the you know the 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 people that kind of get sucked into it lose the have lost the ability to see certain holes um like certain um yeah certain holes and um and so by focusing in on i these little like atomistic phenomena they can come to these conclusions like um trying to think if there might be how to how that might work with um well so well the one one way this might work is it, it's in the observation that the the people these these kinds of people who you know at one at um you know at one time will say that uh, will will decry you know gender stereotypes for instance but then when they um, when they actually come to, you know, embody certain, uh, certain things, they, they actually embody the stereotypes. So for instance, you know, so, oh, well, there are these stereotypes about women, but then, um, then when they actually, you know, when a trans person will actually, you know, become a woman, they engage in stereotypical, like women behaviors, almost in caricature. And so there's the, there's the one guy that I see. I have no idea who he is. Um, I think he's he's part of the Biden administration or something. But he's the bald guy with the mustache oh, that yeah. you know that wears women's dresses. And it's like um, at that point you get it, it's it's like it's such a fractured, almost like cubist perception that that um, <clears throat> like 
the definition has broken down so much that the, that there there is no definition. That's kind of the definition of definition of queer. Um, this idea of just breaking down all all boundaries and just mashing everything together. And it's almost like people used to do that for shock value. Just you know, performers used to do it. You know, um, guys like David Bowie or or um, just. Uh, Making putting together two things that in practice in ordinary experience are usually um, totally separate, and by by jamming them up together, it's it's um, it's strange, and so it's produced for shock value because people are like, oh wow, I've ne I've never seen anything like that. I don't know what to think or feel about that because it's so it's so new and out of out of my range of ordinary experience, and so the so queer ideology seems to exist to kind of break down all those barriers, but then not, not for shock value. I think that's an aspect to it, but to, nor to normalize it, to totally break down any of those ordinary categories, like completely in, in, in the entire, um, the entire experience of, of, of humanity, not just as an example of an entertainer engaging in a little bit of shock value, but to be able to, to, to put these incongruous aspects together and then say like, oh, I am a woman. And then you say, "Oh, well, well, how? It's it. It doesn't. Com it doesn't compute." And the I think the purpose of that is to inspire. The ultimate purpose is to inspire that kind of cognitive dissonance. Just to com it's it's a complete, um, uh, it's a complete mind frack. Um, to use some Battle Star Galactica terminology, um, it's it's just designed to totally you know scramble your brains, scramble your mind, so that you totally lose any sense of of reality so then once that once you've been mind wiped then then the new reality can be uh can be inserted and i think that the that's probably the ultimate agenda is just to um well, well with, yeah. with queer theory being an offshoot of critical theory or critical race theory and they they're all you know, connected in kind of like basic fundamental ways where the idea is not to um, create a cohesive whole, but rather to deconstruct everything as it is currently in order to reshape it uh, along the lines that they think it should be shaped in. Um, you know, if you want to kind of look at it in a bit of a conspiratorial way, I think that that, that is kind of ultimately one of the one of its purposes as you say is to deconstruct what we think of as you know normal human experience and normal personal relationships uh to deconstruct all of those things in order to create something different in order to get something else uh inserted in um i mean if you if you take them at their word from uh, James Lindsay's book, you know, the idea is to create the, uh, the revolution and create a communist utopia out of the ashes of the, the, the torn down world. Um, yeah, they're all socialists. Yeah. It probably has to do with, uh, <clears throat> uh, the, with, a with a, a different perception, um, on the part of some of these people right i mean um they uh, somehow maybe lack in a certain sense for whatever reason i mean it's probably uh pr looking at it in, 
added in terms of uh, psychopathologies might be of, uh, like the best lens, uh, but in in any event that they're lacking, you know, some some normal perception that or intuition, if you will, that that the rest of us has, and and they kind of desperately try to make the world conform to their you know strange way of of looking at things and uh uh and they use you know these these uh, these kinds of language games i think that's the chief means um i think lobachevsky talked about that too in with the schizoids you know and the the, the big theories that kind of um till the ground so to say uh for these um patho pathological worldviews to to come in because uh uh, it's it's kind of interesting how how this process works with the warping of language. I mean, with the gender ideologues, that's probably the, the most obvious example. I mean, even though in in other you know like strange uh, ideologies, this always played a role, but they directly like get at it, right? They they want to change language, like uh, and uh, and in, in, you can see that. I mean, in English, you're lucky. I mean, you just have those damn pronouns, right? That remind people of the gender or. or or let's say like a, a male female binary right but in other languages it's like much more pernicious and <laughs> and this stuff is everywhere right so you have like female and male forms for for all kinds of like nouns and and verbs and adverbs and uh, and so on and uh so and and they in german it's really crazy at the moment they really try hard you know to to like even the the news station now like the official state media they now switched and used those all those ridiculous words it's just unbearable you know and the, uh, it's completely insane and and uh, uh yeah and and i think that's really what it comes down to right um kind of destroy people's natural connection to their intuition and to reality and then sneak in this this new this new stuff and um uh, i was kind of shocked i don't know if you guys watched the sandman uh the new show on on Netflix and uh, I think it is, and it's just such a woke fest and it just all, you know, like praises the most pathological kind of like, you know, be, I mean, it's not all bad, the the, the series, I think, but, uh, you know, there were like a, a couple of things in there that it was just so obvious, you know, that they normalized patho purely pathological types basically <laughs> and and even and saturated and yeah it's it's really really strange and the word gender just to you know because it's my my pet peeve i wrote something about that too it's it's just incredible how they could sneak in that that word right and uh and the whole thing just makes sense i mean if if you can even say that you know because of that damn word <laughs> it's like uh without that i mean it's it just couldn't be done you know so it's yeah yeah without that uh without that framework that gender framework that becomes separated because you had written something somewhere uh luke where you were you were talking about the the difference between uh english and german and the way that uh german refers to uh the sexes uh it's basically just like you know, it's not male or female. It's just penis or, it's just you know, genital. <laughs> it's just genital. What genital are you? <laughs> what genital have you? <laughs> um, that you can't like, since 
it it makes sense that it that this kind of ideology didn't spring from German because that because it's like rooted uh, cohesively in the uh, in the language itself this this hard connection to a physical reality. Um, whereas you know, like as you were saying, once you create this. Uh, separation or this distance, this disconnect between uh, the framework and the reality that it's supposed to map out. Well, then you can, you know, go off into crazy world where, you know, kitten person identifies as a helicopter and their kitten self and helicopter self are uh, equally valid in their subjective experience to uh, normal people who can you know, function in society without having to feel like they need to make everyone recognize and bend the knee to their subjective experience. Yeah, it's, it's true. <laughs> the word gender, it's, I mean, in German, you know, like we talk about um, to gender, it's as a, as a verb. And I mean, we use the English, I mean, we, I don't, but you know, others do um, use the English um, word gender and to gender, um, as, like in German, we say gendern. So as a verb, um, it means like to speak in gender conformist language. Um, so they, they incorporated the, the English word gender and, and turned it into a German verb and noun and whatever. And then because it just isn't there, you know, natively. So they had the gender ideologues basically had to import the, um, the, <laughs> the English word. And, and I write in my article as well, because they, they, the gender ideologues, you know, they came up with the concept of the social sex and in, in German Geschlecht, you know, it's the word for like, um, sex organ basically, but it's also used, you know, as a male, female distinction. And, and they speak of this, soziale Geschlecht, the social sex, and it's just, you know, and then they explain it that it's like, yeah, so that's basically your, your socially constructed gender identity, but, you know, social sex in, in German, it literally means like um, social penis <laughs> or social <laughs> vagina. It just, it's just complete nonsense, you know, it's, um, it's, like, uh, me. it's like saying your social, your social sex organ, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, I can't remember. I can't remember what the paper was about, but one of James Lindsay's um, uh, fake papers that he that he wrote was the con on the conceptual penis. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it's the conceptual the conceptual yeah, penis. So they actually is, uh, took it seriously. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, one of the things that I've been looking at recently, which I've been writing about on my Substack, is, you know, I, I mentioned this book, so I was I was rereading Caricature of Love, but then I also read uh, um, Shafarovich, The Socialist Phenomenon, which I've been writing about. And so one of the things, one of the interesting things that came out, um, you know, a kind of interesting overlap between the two. So I'm reading Socialist Phenomenon, and, you know, if anyone's read my Substack articles, he, he, go, he goes through the, all of the like all of the social, all of the utopian writings that kind of developed in the in the, the the history of socialism, you know, before the even before the word socialism was used, but the, the template was there for the 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 utopia. So you know, way back 
from Plato up to, you know, Thomas More and then a whole bunch of Frenchies. Um, they all wrote these utopias. And, uh, and then that, that, that tradition was kind of inherited by the, the socialists in the, you know, in the, I think socialism as a word was first used in like the early 1800s or something like that. But, uh, but the, you know, the tradition goes back, you know, much further, but all the, he identifies the common features in all of these utopias. And then after the utopias, you know, after the, the novels, the utopian novels came the actual socialist thinkers, like the philosophers that were more of a, um, you know, presenting more of a system as opposed to a, you know, a fictionalized portrayal of the, you know, the perfect, the perfect social system. And so the, the four features that they all share in common um, is our abolition of property, abolition of the family, abolition of religion, and then a focus on equality and communality. And looking what, what the things that fall under the abolition of family um, are usually, um, there's usually two dimensions in that, not always, but, uh, but they often come together or there's, or there's one of the two. And that is, you know, completely breaking down the, the parent child relationship. And this usually shows up in the, in the utopias as, um, well, we want to completely, you know, parents are, are the, the reason that kids are the way they are. They socialize them using in bad ways. And so the way to do that is to break that relationship. You know, once children are born, we take them away from their parents and they're going to be raised collectively, you know, maybe in this, uh, maybe in kind of like, a um, what we might now think of like as an, as an orphanage orphanage or, uh, you know, a baby farm. And, um, and so the, the, the children will be raised by, you know, people who aren't their parents. And the other aspect of that, aside from the, the state having complete control over the education of the children, and in fact, having the children having no relationship with their parents in an ideal form, is the, the issue of women and wives. And it seems that for some reason, the socialists really didn't like marriage. Um, what they wanted, they, they, they would often want the abolition of marriage, because for some reason, um, marriage was oppressive um, in pretty much every way you could think of. But the, the, the solution to marriage um, was to actually just share wives. You know, women and men should just be, it was essentially free love. You know, everyone should just be able to choose whoever they want um, to have sex with. And so there's this weird sexual undercurrent in in the entire history of, of socialism that is more explicit in some thinkers than others, but as an undercurrent, it, it's, it's there in all of them, um, whether it's, you know, more or less extreme. And it's this weird thing. And even Marx, too, was talking, was talking about this issue about communality of wives, Marx and Engels. And so... So there's the way of looking at it as free love, like, oh, everyone should just be able to, to do what they want to do with whoever they want to do it with. But in some, of, in some of them, it's like, that's the basic idea, but it's more like if a man wants to sleep with whatever woman he wants to, well, he should just be able to do it. And that's why I joked in one of my articles that it's like, social, was, was socialism the first incel um, you know, political project? Because a lot of these guys, I'm wondering if they were, you know, may maybe like me, had just never encountered a woman before. <laughs> no, but, but these guys just really wanted to, they, they, maybe they were just so, so um, uh, 
so upset that they couldn't get laid that the only thing that they could think of was creating a social system where they'd be able to sleep with whoever they wanted. And finally, women would have to sleep with them. Because this whole idea of commu communality of wives, and, and they were literally like speaking of women as property, which, you know, I guess was um, in, in various places and periods of, of history was kind of normal to, to see women as property. Um, not, not exclusively so, but, you know, that was uh, kind of a, a thing. Um, so, well, women shouldn't be your own personal property, you know, but it, 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 was, it's, it was the same argument with, with private property in the sense of like objects and, and wealth and, and things like that. It's like, well, it, there's something wrong about one person owning property or owning land, you know, it should be shared by everyone. So there's something wrong about that woman being your woman, being that guy's woman. She should be everyone's woman. Like that, that's kind of the mentality that, that comes through in a lot of these guys. It, it's not that, oh, maybe it was a bad marriage and maybe the woman should have a choice of who she wants to marry. Like that, that actually, that wasn't the, the motivation for what these guys were talking about. No, it was that woman shouldn't be that guy's woman. She should be everyone's woman. And, and all of them should just be everyone's woman. We should just have, we should just be able to choose whatever woman we want. And that should just be the way things are. Cause if things would be so much better, we'd be so much more free. The women would be happier. The men would be happier. I'd be happier. Um, <laughs> oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking about me personally, but you know, everyone would be happier. That's kind of the, the, the idea that comes across there. And so then when you, when you go forward, you get to some of the utopian socialists like Fourier or Fourier, I don't know how to pronounce him. He's French. And, um, and you just get some weird ideas, like um, like Shafarovich. <laughs> he points out that uh, that Fourier was kind of the the progenitor, like the um, the 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 guy that he was kind of a an early Freud. A lot of his ideas were very Freudian, and you you get some very weird um, like pathological views about sex, and it's. It just struck me as strange because I just, you know, I just read Caricature of Love, which is about the same thing. And the overlap between the two is like, it's like, oh, there's almost, there almost seems to be this identity between the the two phenomena. You know, what Cleckley was looking at, what he talks about um, as, and what he refers to as anti-sexuality. And then these ideas that show, that show up in like the entire history of, of socialist thought of, it's this almost... Um, deep-rooted disgust or um disgust or if it's not if not disgust then just a total lack of comprehension of what most everyone else just seems to see as normal which is you know a, a man and a woman getting together loving each other and having children which for some reason to some people just strikes them as the epitome of oppression and like horror which which to most people is is just comes as um well that's kind of like oh well that's a woman over there it just it's just well that's just what humans do you know that's just what comes naturally so I, yeah i was just and so i was just kind of struck by that that similarity and then you know just wondering if they're if the connections kind of run deeper than that or if or if that's a kind of like a fundamental feature of both um, because a lot of the people that Cleckley talks about, like he's got a couple chapters, like one is called, let me just look at the table of contents here. Um, he's got a chapter called, yeah, the Pied Pipers of Pathology, for instance, um, art, illness, and propaganda. 
And so he's talking about the writers in the, the, the guys he covers tend to be from like the late 1800s to like the first half of the, of the 1900s. Cause he wrote the book in 57. Um, so that's the, the time period he tends to be looking at, but, but a lot of the people that he, that he looks at, th these might be novelists or philosophers or psychiatrists. Um, it's kind of the three, three areas that he focuses on those three types of writers. Um, he doesn't look into political philosophy, um, very much at all, but among the novelists, poets, um, psychiatrists, <clears throat> he, he, he identifies this this current of of propaganda, where it's not just a present a, a presentation or a representation of pathologic sexuality. There's there's an element of of the the desire and the push. Well, the the desire to push these ideas onto other people to make them think that this is the way things are. And in in literature, this the way. Cleckley describes it, the way this comes across is the presentation of all relationships as, as like cynically impossible. And the, the like, so the impossibility of love, um, the impossibility of a healthy relationship between a man and a woman. And he points out that a lot of these authors that present this picture of, of relationships, in fact, were homosexuals writing about homosexuality, but, but disguising, you know, their own personal experiences as being heterosexual. Um, so like, so they would write like Proust, for instance, would write some characters as, you know, a man and a woman when he was, he was actually writing from experience or, you know, people he knew about, about two men or two women. So he was putting the dynamics of a homosexual relationship into a heterosexual relationship. So, well, that's just one of the aspects, but, but there are others, others too, where, um, you know, guys like, well, the extreme ones are like the Marquis de Sade or, um, um, like the Hymans, these, these guys, um, had the, basically were projecting their own personal, um, sexual problems, um, like not only into their characters, but then presenting that as a norm, um, and not just, not even just as a norm, but often with the intention of, of destroying the, like the, the myth in their minds of the ideal relationship. It's almost like, you know, you've been burned so many times that, that you just want to, you know, take everyone down with you. It's like, well, I could never be happy. Nothing, nothing ever worked for me. I was always miserable in my relationships. So I'm just going to present this as the way it always is. And anyone else who thinks differently, well, you know, you're just, you're just an idiot. You just haven't experienced bourgeois. what I've experienced. Yeah. You're bourgeois. And, um, so there seems to be this similar dynamic and the way that's playing out, it's interesting that the way that's playing out today is like the perfect combination of these streams. You have like, it's, it's explicit. It's all about sexuality today. It's all about, uh, you know, transgender and queer ideology that, um, that, you know, that this stuff didn't even exist when Cleckley was writing, but you can see kind of like the, the, the precursors for it in all of this literature um, prior to Cleckley, you can see where this might go. And that's exactly the direction it has gone. And it's, and it's, and it comes out of the, you know, coincidentally enough, it comes out of the socialist tradition. In this case, it comes out of Marcuse's critical theory, which was just, which was a, a neo-Marxism, which was, you know, the, the, it was essentially socialism for the sixties. And now it's become, you know, and that's directly what all of these ideologies have come, of, come out of, like, um, it's their, 
it's their non-gendered mother and father figure, um, which is just kind of fascinating how it's all, it's all right out there now. Yeah, those yeah. things that were so hidden and needed to be hidden, um, because I think, mm. it, yeah, the society wouldn't have uh, tolerated, uh, say, like 60 years ago. Uh, no one would have put up with any of this from like the uh, from the queer theorists. Like everyone would have, I think the majority of people would have looked at this and been like, y'all are some sick in the head crazies. Uh, and rightfully so. But you, and so you needed, or there needed to be this kind of like slow degradation in order for it to really take root. I mean, it's like, it's Ponderology 101, where the society has to become sufficiently hystericized in order for the pathology to spread. Yeah, like even the Bolsheviks did, you know, there was a Bolshevist theoretician who, you know, after the revolution was really pushing for communality of wives, um, but it just, you know, it didn't fly. He, they had to give up on that one. But uh, so I think it still probably wouldn't fly today, but the, I mean, the ground's been prepared way better than it was. I mean, t today. Yeah. I, 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 I want to make a point about that. Uh, this um, wife sharing thing. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I I, I kind of think um, after like watching the Walsh's documentary and also watched an interview. I forgot her name. It's a bit older with uh, on this uh, trigonom trigonometry channel. <laughs> Is that the name? Um, with uh, an uh, um, an old school feminist um, who came out uh, Camille Pally? against the trans stuff. Like even if no, no, not her. Um, Oh, yeah, I forgot the name, um, yeah, okay. but uh, she she's really good. She's she's really on point, and uh, and uh, and it seems to me, you know, and she, she, she I, I could kind of understand where she was coming from, and and I think part of this this movement, right? And and it seems, you know, from what you said, Harrison, it it really goes back even to the to the beginnings of of you know socialist thinking. Um, there is just something very uh, misogynist about this whole thing uh it is it is somehow like um you know it comes in the guise of all this new women's movement blah 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 but it actually is like it, it seems almost uh, like it has something to do with predatory men you know that that really are like <laughs> like the the root of it and uh so for example i mean with the trans thing it's it's pretty obvious right i mean nobody ever talks about um uh, women transitioning, you know, to male, you know, it's, it's all about like dudes, you know, becoming a women, uh, women, uh, supposedly. And then, um, uh, you know, like preying on women, you know, it's like, and, uh, it's, it's, it's just the whole theme. I mean, obviously there's also Replacing more them. on, on masculinity going on and all that, but still there is something about this whole thing, you know, that, that strikes me as like very anti-woman, you know, and, and very, um, like, I don't know, like, um, maybe like insult type woman hatred or like even like, you know, pathological, like rapist types, woman hating it's, there's something there. <laughs> and, uh, and another point I just wanted to make, because I'm lately, I'm a bit in enlightenment enlightenment bashing mood again um and 
uh, and then some of that stuff, you know, people always talk about, um, you know, socialism, Marxism and all that, but it, it even goes down like to, to some of the enlightenment thought. I mean, this, this line of, of reasoning, I think, and, uh, this idea that you can change man's nature basically, or you can, or people are malleable and, and all of that. Um, and that, uh, um, you know, if you, if you think that we should make, turn everybody into rational, you know, make everybody more rational, um, like some of the enlightenment thinkers, you know, were, were about, um, and then therefore create a better society, right? I mean, it's kind of like the same thrust. And once you are there, um, and then you can actually make all those, uh, sophist, uh, arguments, right? I mean, oh, wouldn't it be more rational to share wives? You know, I mean, it would just work so much better and would save resources, you know, and, uh, would improve the gene pool. And uh, I mean, you, I mean, once you're, <laughs> you're there, you, I mean, you can make those silly arguments and, uh, but then you lost touch, you know, to just mm -hmm. our intuition again, you know, our normal understanding and, And I think we've talked about this uh, before in the shows on, on James Lindsay, but it is just such a trope in socialist thinking or, I mean, Marxist thinking, let's say, or however you want to call it, um, this idea that, you know, like happy families, it's basically, basically a myth, right? And behind every conservative household that puts up that happy facade, you know, is like a total nightmare, you know, where the... <laughs> Yeah, they, they, the man beats his wife and the children are traumatized and uh, it's like all just for show. And like, I mean, that's just a trope that is so deep in, in left leftist thinking. Uh, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that reminds me of one of the conversations we had with uh, Josh Slocum. I can't remember if it was the, the recent one we had or the first one where we we're talking about, um, I think it was the first one about uh, his experiences with his, you know, with his um, early childhood and how the, like the levels of abuse that he experienced, he thought that was normal. You know, he didn't, he didn't realize that, that there were, there were families that weren't like that. So it's almost, it comes back to the idea that maybe a lot of this is projection where it is, you know, a, um, mm. you know, the experiences of, of a certain person or a certain, um, you know, type of type of person well a certain a certain group of people with the same types of experiences that kind of project their their own um their own cynicism and the reasons for their cynicism onto everyone else and um when you know it just it doesn't work that way it doesn't apply that way and but it could also be like with the communality of wives it could be that these that, that some of these guys actually had perfectly fine family lives it's just like uh it, it's typical um It could be a typical, um, like academic syndrome where you, you have the, the stereotypical, like, you know, mad academic who gets so into his theories that he loses touch, you know, in his theories, he's totally out of touch with his actual experience. So, you know, on, on, on the weekdays when he's, when he's at the academy at the university, you know, he's a, a total, um, misogynist and talking about the, the rationality of communality of, of, of wives. And then on the weekend, he's just, a you know, he's having a, a good time with his wife and his, and his family. Like there could just be a total disconnect between him, the, the, the theories that he comes up with, um, you know, when he lets his left brain go wild and then his actual experience. Um, you know, I, I'd at leave, I'd at least leave that open as a possibility for, for some of these guys and for some of the people that might not originate the ideas, but that, but that go along with them. 
It's like, oh, because when you read it, it just, it makes sense when you read it because it's there on the page. You know, that's that left hemisphere thing. It says it on yeah. the page, therefore it must be true. And then, you know, yeah. when you, when you, when you stop reading, then you go and you have a good time with your girlfriend and then you say, oh, well, you know, I'm having such a good time with my girlfriend. But when I, when I really think about it, you know, it must, you know, that it's probably just all an illusion or, or, or you just don't think about it and you just go back to your theorizing, um, or you could think yeah. about it from her perspective then it's like what you know how would she actually feel about being like right. shared around by hundreds of different guys at their whim and not hers like would she really like that you know what i don't think so but if if the whole society were different then then you know th that's just a product of 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 socialization that she thinks that but if it, the next generation, once they've all been raised the same way, then the women will be raised to to enjoy Except that sort of their thing. place. Yes, <laughs> like well, like Brave New World. I mean, that's kind of like yeah. what Brave New World was like, wasn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. I will. I wanted to to say that I could. I can almost forgive the Enlightenment folks for uh, some of their theorizings, like for. Uh, like the the blank slate idea of being able to socially uh, construct a, a totally different reality and and those kinds of things because there wasn't that uh, there wasn't enough biological research um, or personality research to be able to be like no there's a very hard limit to what can and can't work. Uh, there's common sense. I said I was almost <laughs> willing to. <laughs> Is it almost? I mean, there's common sense in thousands of years of human history, right? I mean, um, I think the, the guys knew <laughs> knew more than uh, you know. That that's also. I mean, um, I, I totally understand what what you're saying, right? And in some respects, yeah. I think that that's a valid thing uh, to say, um, obviously. But um, you know, um, it, that's also kind of like an, an enlightenment trope i think this this idea or it grew out of of that sort of thinking that you know we basically need science you know to to tell us that you know like the sun is rising <laughs> in the morning you know if, if there wasn't a study you know proving that then you know we just wouldn't know <laughs> and it, it's like um yeah so i guess in, for some things um yeah we don't don't really need science but but even like you know the the blank slate thing is is the one thing but um yeah it's like this this whole left brain utopianism you know that we we just by being smart can you know change the world and and create a like a, a way better life you know and then this whole um idea of ben benevolence and uh, and welfare and and all of that so yeah, I think it's it's useful sometimes to to go back even before like Marx and and those guys and and uh, and look uh, at you know where, where these these kinds of impulses come from and and mm -hmm. that in some sense they were were there even even before. <coughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and that whole um, like you'll you'll even see um, strands of that. Uh, that blank slate psychology in uh, in these like socialist novels, these utopias, because uh, that that was often the the idea. I, I, I'm, I'd be interested. I haven't read like an intellectual like history of um, of that idea to see if there are actual actual connections or if it was just kind of they they all just kind of thought the same things for different reasons. But it it was that idea that that everything 
um, like all the ills of society are caused by by the structure of society and the way it's set up. So if we could only if we could only create the perfect society like an, on an island somewhere, then we'd be able to totally fix human nature. Like humans wouldn't be so evil anymore because we'd be able to kind of like uh, the the behaviorists, we'd be able to to shape them and mold them from the time that they're born into good upstanding citizens that uh, that are happy happy in their place and um and there will be no problems they, you know everything will be great so like implicit in that idea is this blank slate um this blank slate idea of human nature is that we can shape it and change it um according to our whim to make everything better and of course that's you know it's not the way it works but um but yeah it's it's a it's an interesting well anything else anything else on that i wanted to to share something uh, another interesting thing but it's kind of off topic no okay I'll... let's go off topic <laughs> well so so on my Substack, in, in reply to one of these articles that i wrote recently someone uh, in a comment had left a link to um like a blog post that referenced um this this paper or actually it was a uh like a dissertation in german so i couldn't read the dissertation but the the scholar is uh he's from the netherlands at least that's where he's he's based i th i can't remember his first name if it's julian or it starts with a j and last name strube and he's written on um um on kind of history of history of socialism in the 18th century so he looks his focus it seems to me is is socialism in the the early or the first half of the 1800s so after the french revolution and he is I believe his his like his specialty is uh, study of religions. So what he what he did is he in his in his uh, dissertation he tracked the like the origin of these socialist ideas in the 1800s to various Catholic thinkers, for instance. But in these in the two papers that I read in English, um, one he's talking about the the religious ideas of the of the <clears throat> like early 19th century socialists. Um, and their the the perception of them and their own self perception as um, as as religious and as mystics, you know, because a lot of those um, like whether it was the like the Saint Simonists or the Fourierists or there was one other group like they traced their they were explicitly um, like religious in their in their own um, like self presentation, and they tracked they traced back their um, their genealogy through, um, through mystics like, like Jacob, Jacob Buma and, uh, and, uh, like St. Simon and, um, back to like the medieval heretics and all this stuff. And other people saw that, like their critics saw them as that too. So they'd call them like theosophists and mystics and, and all this stuff. So there's an interesting connection that, uh, well, at least these groups in the, in this period of time, um, like self-consciously perceived them as, as themselves as religion and as religious and as wanting to wanting to create the the perfect religion like the the universal religion that would that would unite science um science and religion and 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 then if again there we we find this this tendency if then only we could we could um in you know create this new universal religion um we could then um 
spiritualize or fix or or um, or correct you know humanity, then humanity would become perfect, and we we just need to. So it was it was kind of this variation, but. Um, that's not even the, the one that I wanted to focus on. Just an interesting side note is that also the history of Western occultism seems to, to he, he argues that the, that Western occultism actually grows out of the, this 18th or 1800s, this 19th century, um, socialist tradition. And he, so he tracks it back to the, the, one of the first, you know, Western occultists, Eliphas Levi, um, whose real name, I can't remember what his real name was. It might've been, uh, Oh, I can't remember. It starts with a C, but so he was actually uh, um, a socialist figure in the and in the in the mid eighteen hundreds, and uh, you know changed it or created his pen name Eliphas Levi, and which was kind of the, the 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 birth of Western occultism, and a lot of his a lot of the ideas that he uh, well this guy Strube's thesis is that a lot of the ideas that became um, kind of central tenets of Western occultism that, that Levi, Levi um, originated, they actually, um, he was actually not very well read in the actual like hermetic esoteric, you know, what we now call occult tradition, um, like, um, you know, like Paracelsus and all those guys, the, 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 uh, the alchemists and that stuff. Like he wasn't very well read. Most of his ideas that, be that became attached to the, to Western occultism were actually just his socialist ideas that were common in the socialist circles of the time that he then just applied, you know, basically put new names on and, and then became that, that became the tradition of Western occultism or the, the, the root of the tr tradition, you know, which then led to the later theosophists like Helena Blavatsky and then, you know, the magical tradition, like, you know, Aleister Crowley and stuff like that. Is that the, the roots of that come down to this stuff that was going on in, mid the mid 1800s in France um that kind of had their roots in the the socialist traditions of the time but then became uh, occultism so i haven't finished reading his his ideas on that so um uh, but it was just a, an interesting side note that i thought i'd brought out so you look at the, and you look at the crazy the crazy stuff like uh in a lot of the the magical uh, community, like with, with sex magic and things like that. It's like, Oh, now it all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's sometimes it's hard, you know, when you look at these uh, historical developments in, or the history of ideas that, um, uh, I mean, the, the, the pathology, the, the lens of psychopathology is, I think, so valuable in that regard, because you can see how, you know, like these impulses, you know they they play out in different ways like you know you if you want to have like de degenerate sex parties you know i mean you know it, it could be magic it could be like women liberation it could be like wife sharing you know i mean whatever does the job right i mean as long as you end up with your <laughs> sex party you know it's like yeah. and uh and it, it can be like co confusing um if you if you just look at the you know the or try to track the intellectual um history because i also often found that you know there's a lot of mix you know between like um like really interesting thoughts that people expressed at certain times and and then it all gets jumbled you know over over the years and uh, as you say then suddenly like the the esoteric the western esoteric tradition you know becomes socialized so to say <laughs> so uh, or, or infected by socialism um and uh, you could also say you know, um, even like uh, 
good observations at certain points in time and good good ideas that maybe also try to change you know society for the better but um you know were much more reasonable and intelligent um uh, get then somehow mixed up with the with the pathological ideas of the of the era you know or like or pathological drives you know that that associates certain idea with with you know like certain things and uh it's, it's i just wanted to say that's why it can be useful to look at it from the other the other way around so to say um <laughs> what kind of uh, thing does does that produce uh, and uh yeah to to not get too derailed by this you know just the the intellectual side of things and because it 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 can be deceiving or let's say you know without that lens Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we've got to get going. Yeah. I think. Uh, any final, any final thoughts, Luke? Are we good? Um, we don't need to define women to know what women are. <laughs> Other than that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll it include in, links. Call it night for. <laughs> All right. I'll include links to uh, to the two articles that we had in mind that Luke wrote. Uh, in the show description so you can check them out on his Substack. And with that, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, we'll see you again next time. Bye-bye.